Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me. Now today, we have got a huge show for episode number 79. First up, we speak to Jimmy Hocking, guitar player with the Screaming Jets, talks to us about the Jets touring, some big gigs coming up, a new album in the works, and Jimmy's own solo career. Next up, we then speak to Adam Eckersley and Brooke McClymont. Now, you might know these guys as very big names in the Australian country music scene. Brooke, of course, with her band, The McClymonts, and Adam, Adam fronting his own group, The Adam Eckersley Band. They've combined, the husband and wife team have combined for the first time on a great new album, simply called Brooke and Adam, and it's fantastically written, and it's got some brilliant guitar playing on there as well. So we talked to both Adam and Brooke about this album. Finally, our third interview in today's bumper edition, we speak to Ian Cook from V-Trem Guitars. Now, Ian, very clever guy from my hometown of Sydney. He's come up with a new tremolo design, essentially a locking tram, uh, like a Floyd-style tram, that is it's non-recessed, so it sits flush on the body, so it feels super solid, and yet the, with a very clever design uh, aspect that, that Ian has come up with. He can pull up as well as pushing down, so... You can push the uh, push the pitch up and down, and yet it's very, very solid. So I was very interested in this design and uh, went and saw Ian and checked out some of these really cool V-Trem guitars. Now, just before we move to those interviews, just want to remind you, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, whether you're on iOS or Android or something else. If you're just joining us, we've, we've been running this show for almost two years, and we've got Another 78 interviews with some amazing guitar players like Andy Timmons, Dweezil Zappa, Brett Kingman, Randall Waller, Brett Williams, Gretchen Men. I could go on and on, but some amazing guitar players from both Australia and internationally. So check us out. We're on Facebook and Instagram, or you can head over to guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com and you can find all our episodes there as well. All right. Let's jump straight in. Here's my interview with Jimmy Hocking from The Screaming Jets. Okay, Jimmy Hocking, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Hey, Matt. Nice to see you. How are you? Great, mate. Good to, good to have you on the show. Thanks for your time. No worries at all. Awesome. Now, we are here to talk about the Radio Rock Riot tour coming up with Boom Crash Opera and, of course, your band, The Screaming Jets. So that's, that's in August and September coming up. But you guys have just finished up the... Red Hot Summer Tour, which um, from all accounts was literally very hot. You were playing in heat waves and all sorts of things. <laughs> you know, it, it lived it lived up to its name. <laughs> I mean, the joke wasn't wasn't wasted on anybody. The first weekend that I think we did was in I think it was the Mole Whaler was the first weekend we did. Great lineup: Susie Quattro, The Angels, Baby Animals, Ourselves, yeah, awesome. uh, Chocolate Starfish, and The Moving Pictures. It was a great lineup of people. But it was literally that weekend when it was forty four or forty three degrees. Uh, all day and it was so hot at the first gig that uh, even the microphones themselves you would burn your lips if you touched the microphone <laughs> with your mouth and there was no swapping them out because everything was hot it was it, like it was 45 degrees in the shade basically you know wow, so it was crazy it was a crazy run and the last gig uh, in Brisbane I think that was uh, probably Island Way the, the Susie didn't go on because there was a tropical storm came through and the safety marshals cleared the stage Oh, wow. So we started off in, in the heat and we ended up in a tropical storm. <laughs> that is nuts. That's you nuts. can't make it up, can you? You can't, man. Far out. Great lineups, though, as you said. I, there was a bunch of different um, lineups for some of those different gigs and um, 
yeah. the, the the group you guys were with was looked fantastic. We had a great. It was really we really had one of the best hangout backstage sessions I've had on a tour like that in, in, in as many years. Like we really had a great time. All good people, and uh, we we really enjoyed everyone's company. So, so so hopefully we'll be doing it all again with the the, the radio rock right. It was August with Boom Crash. So. Uh, you know, I just hope they know a lot of Monty Python jokes. That's the prerequisite, really. Okay, nice. So you, you stock up on those. <laughs> it's, somehow, I think Alex Smith said to me from Moving Pictures, he said, somehow over the years, Monty Python and Spinal Tap have become the, the language of musicians. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of how we talk to each other. I and mean, if you don't yeah. get the references, you might not be in the, in the, in the beer club afterwards. You know. <laughs> Might be part of the audition process for some bands nowadays. <laughs> I love it. Have you have you guys um have you worked with the Boom Crash Opera guys before? I don't, I, I know them from over the years, but I, I don't think we've actually played them before. I mean, obviously, back in the day, we were touted as more of a hard rock yeah, band. Sure. So that was our kind of audience. Yeah. But I think as time has progressed, you know, um, just because it's a it's a lineup of people who are from the same era, you know, people we just have fun. You know, with that idea, and of course we're doing a different kind of run because we're just wrapping up as we speak this album of Great Australian Covers. So yeah, great. Uh, we're going to feature that in the set, and 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 um, that should be a lot of fun. And it's been it's been great fun and a bit of a challenge to play it because most of the material came via ring-ins and requests from radio listeners. Uh, so we really didn't know. I didn't have a, a final set list of what we were doing until literally we stepped into. Uh, two and a half days of pre-production before going and recording it so we didn't even know what we were going to record so. wow that's cool yeah. <laughs> that sounds like fun man stupid. <laughs> yeah live on the edge man I, um, I saw a picture of you on your on your Instagram or something you had a you had a rig it had um, yeah you were playing some vintage Yamaha LP style oh, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah I've got a few stuff. Yamaha but, yeah I, I'm, a, I'm a mad guitar collector I mean I've got two kids now so I'm going to have to uh, you know Put, put the lid on buying random items that I don't really need. Uh-huh. But um, you know, I got uh, I, I when Steve James comes to record with, so I've got a few old, nice old guitars. Like I mean, old couple of fifties Les Paul Juniors, which I've had for a long time before yeah, that were expensive yeah, nice. and stuff like that. I record with that stuff all the time. But on the road, I often take um, the Yamaha. Actually, I've got a Yamaha Golf that they made me in their custom shop in Japan, which is probably a few years old now. But it's a pretty new one in the scheme of things. And uh, that's a killer guitar. That's that's one of my main touring guitars. I've got a PRS and that, and uh, and a Frank Rubisso made me guitar too. I, I take them on the road a lot. You know, they're my main touring ones. Okay. But behind yeah. the scenes, I've, I've got guitars that I don't take out anymore because I see those pictures of the airlines. You know, uh, <laughs> yes. having crushed somebody's <laughs> favorite guitar. And I'm like, that would just kill me. You know. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me about your Les Pauls because you've got a couple of fifties. Once so I've got a years ago. I um I bought a '56, um and it's it's hard to, to fathom now that those guitars can be worth anywhere between ten and fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And I, I I've actually got one which I bought. And Ricky Brewster loves his story you know, the, from the Angels because in '88 I did a tour filling in for Bob Spencer, who was then the guitar player in the Angels. Yeah. And um, at the end of the tour. They gave me a bonus. I think it was like a thousand dollars or something like that, which is you know a lot of money in those days for a young man like me. Sure. I was twenty-four, uh-huh. so I, I went straight down the guitar shop in Sandringham in, in Victoria, and I uh, I knew this junior was in there, and I bought it for I think twelve hundred bucks. Wow. So so I mean that's a fifty-six junior single pickup. Yeah. 
single cutaway. And, um, you know, years later, I've used it all these years for recording. I used to use it in the encores of my previous band, which was called Jimmy the Human and Inspector Seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember seeing in New York when I was going over there a lot to play. And I'm in a guitar shop and I looked up and there's one in a glass cabinet, you know, like with alarms around it and stuff. It's like, you know, <laughs> do not touch. And the guy, the guy said, "Well, that's a real '56 era, you know, in pristine condition." I'm like, "Yeah, I've got one at home." Actually. <laughs> and the guy's like, "I could see he just didn't believe me." He's like, "Oh, sure you do, you know." <laughs> so, uh, so I actually, that's that's probably any time I do a recording, I, I I wheel that out for pretty much all the rhythm parts and some of the solos, and I just have a guitar which um has been my main guitar since I really started in the game, and that's a. It's a red Les Paul, like a Sunburst, and I've got a, a good old top as well. Mm-hmm. And I bought both of those guitars probably around the mid-'80s when they were like 600 bucks each. Yeah, and right. they're both around 72, 73. And they're, they're kind of like, even though they're like not, not the great era for Les Pauls, yeah. they're my favorite guitars. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I wheel them out for solos and stuff like that. And I recently met a guy online who has a, 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 a secret stash of old Gibson T-top pickups, if you know what I'm talking about there. Yeah, yeah. They're the, they're the ones after the PAFs, which which basically were through the 60s and into the early 70s. Right, yeah. And uh, he sold them off, so I, I bought a few of them off him uh, at a pretty reasonable price you know, compared to a PAF, and I've put them in those guitars now, and they sound fantastic. That's great, man. Yeah, I was going to ask, have you, um, have you swapped out any parts due to necessity on, on those older guitars? Well, those those old guitars, like the, the juniors, for example, no. I mean, uh, the one that I used mainly actually had had the bridge changed already on it, and uh, so I changed it back to a bridge that was more in keeping with the original wraparound bridge. Somebody put a, 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 a stop tail piece on it on a, 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 a tunematic bridge, but um, I I used to change stuff around a lot in the eighties and nineties because they didn't seem like old guitars then; they were just kind of like secondhand guitars. Yeah, yeah. But as times progressed, I put a lot of them back to I guess original spec, okay. just because it seems more in keeping with what they are. Yeah, cool, nice. Well, I've got more guitars in sense. It's 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 not it's not good around my place. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sounds like a good problem yeah. though. If it's if it's a problem, it's yeah, a problem. it is. I, I I but it's all over now. But 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 uh, but you know, I, I I've kind of I spent a lot of time in my early days just just playing the Les Paul, and and then when I got a Paul Reed Smith, uh, that was a real game changer for me because. It had so many more sounds, you know, the original design with the, with the strat sounds and stuff in it okay, as well. Yeah. And I used that one of them a lot. And, um, and But even in the recent years, but a couple of years ago, I got interested in SGs again. And just because the original Jets catalogue of the first two albums that I didn't do, um, Richie played an SG, and so a lot of the songs are really up at the high end of the neck. Okay. And uh, I just like the way that you could get up there and and, uh, and have all that access. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. So I bought a couple of SGs about five years ago, mm-hmm. but that was a thing I went through. I still got them too, fortunately. Yeah, cool. Now, you first joined the Jets, I think, if I'm right, it was around 95. You did, did a few years there, is that correct? It was actually, no, it was actually earlier than that. It was 93. Oh, okay, okay. 93. So I, I came into it mid, uh, the band was still in, in America, and uh, and as Dave often says, once the band got to America, the wheels were completely falling off okay. the lineup. And... Um, I originally came in to do a three-week tour while Richie was was recovering from an illness. He he, he got an infection in in America when he got a piercing, okay. and um, he just basically never came back. So I came in to do three weeks, and then four weeks, and five, then a month. A couple of months went past, and then we had to record. And so I I, can't, I actually came into the band 
mid-tier of thought. So tier, the album Tier of Thought, which is the second album, which which he recorded, um, that had done pretty much nothing in Australia because our overseas when it was released. They might have sold 3,000 copies. I'm not, I'm not kidding. So we, we toured Tier of Thought and worked that back up until it was, I think, a gold record at the time and uh, released a couple of singles. I think we released Tunnel, which I did re-recorded with some guitar parts on, okay. Helping Hand. I think that was the same. Yeah, cool. And um, so I came in at that period. So that's 93, and then did the what they call the Gorilla album, which was the self-titled album. So I recorded that one, and then I recorded World Gone Crazy. And, and then I left the band at the end of the 90s uh, for a few years there and came back about nine years ago. Okay, yep. Very cool. That's a very cool history. So you, um, when you finished up, you, you sort of jumped pretty much into your solo career or resumed your solo career at that stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd kind of gone through, you know, how, how, how far down the, down, the, down the rabbit hole do you want to go? But, but when, I, when I left the band, there was multiple things going on and, and I decided, well, you know, I, my, my life plan wasn't at that stage to join the Screaming Jets as much as I was enjoying myself. And Dave and I had always remained close. You know, we, we, we were tight right from the start. But, um, you know, I went off and started doing my solo thing again and I, and I, I made a blues album, uh, actually made an acoustic album and then went over to New York and stayed there for a couple of months uh, just playing like, like blues and folk cafes, this kind of like little album I'd made. And uh, that's kind of the next thing that I did and uh, and that was good, really good for me. I did a bit of travel. I went to Ireland and played a festival over there, and and I just did bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. But uh, but in those years, I made a whole bunch of like homemade uh, records. You know, some of the blues bands, some just you know like acoustic things, and really pushed the independent music thing, which I, which was the, what I'd always done. And um, yeah, so I, I I was busy doing that, and even Dave, you know, was coming around a lot when the band were in Melbourne. He'd stay with me sometimes, and we even then worked up an album uh, for him, like a solo record. While the, while the Jets were off the road, and we we did a a record called Wanted Man, which is kind of a solo album, but with just like me and him on the record. And um, so we, I was pretty pretty um, I was pretty fruitful in that time, uh, but uh, eventually. Um, I came back to the band because I actually had time to do both in a respect. I mean, he was Magic was playing in the band. He's a great guitar player, yeah. but he had an, he was going through some stuff and he left the band. And I don't know, it was kind of pretty natural that I might probably come back, you know, because of my relationship with Dave, I suppose. Yeah, cool. That's cool. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the life of a working musician, though, isn't it? Like you've got to juggle a bunch of gigs usually to make to make ends meet and and to keep that job rolling yeah. along. Yeah, so well, you're absolutely cool. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's kind of what went down. When you talk about your blues career, I mean that's been very successful. It's been award-winning in in the states. Yeah. I mean, I'm only one of two foreigners to have won the International Blues Challenge in Memphis. Fantastic. So, um, um, so that was 2005, I think. And you got to win it. You know, you got to be the blues performer of the year in your own state and country. So I went through all of that business. So I, I didn't think I'd win it. I just was doing it for a good time. You know, it was just a thing. Uh huh. And then you go over and play the, the, the festival in Memphis, which is a week long, and they have judges at all the gigs, and they kind of whittle it down. And yeah, I, I went over there as a soloist, and they call it two divisions now. Like there's a band division and a, and a solo duo division. But I think when I went, they didn't. Have, I think they just had an open thing. I might be wrong. Anyway, but but the, the, the short version of the story is that I just won the thing. So so for a year in America, I was the unsigned blues performer of the year, 
which meant I went on all the major TV shows. I went on like Good Morning Atlanta and you know all these kind of like things that you see on uh, on the internet on TV. I was like the guest on all these shows because I was this novelty. I was like a white guy from Australia <laughs> who'd come over and won a Blues Award in America, which was you know I looked like the opposite of what I was. I still had long hair in those days. And, yeah, so that was a it was a good time, and I I think I did I did a couple of months in the states after Memphis. I came back um, for maybe six weeks, and then I went back and did a, a three month tour. So we literally drove everywhere from you know literally Michigan all the way down to Florida, and then flew over to Portland, Oregon, and, and wow. then played the other side for a while. So I did loads and loads of gigs, you know, and, and played. So I had a band that. Like a put together band that uh, a guy called Gary Rasmussen helped me out with. He's a great bass player. Yeah, yeah. He was from the Detroit scene. He plays in uh, Jackson Brown's band and oh, okay. you know, he, I know that name. All the guys from the MC5 and all that Detroit era. He was part of that whole thing. Yeah, awesome. And he was a great man. I had such a good time with Gary. It was a really good tour. Very cool. Very cool. And you play mandolin as well. Hey, that's maybe a lesser known yeah. thing about you, but on your acoustic albums. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a keen mandolin player now. I, I, I call it my second instrument now. Yeah, right. So um, so I'll go and do the folk festivals here and there, play mandolin for people, and yeah. I even take a guitar sometimes. Yeah, cool. How'd you get into that? You know, it was just hanging around America. And um, I just, um, I always liked the mandolin. Actually, no, that's, that's not true. I bought a good mandolin in America, but it might, it might be interesting to know that the most famous mandolin maker in the world lives in Victoria, Australia. Yeah, and he he uh, that's he's, that's Stephen Gilchrist, okay. and in America, he's he's like famous for being the guy that can wow. make the closest mandolin to a a twenties F five, which is for guitar players. Imagine that, um, imagine you've got a guy who can make a, a Les Paul to spec to a fifty nine and make it sound and look exactly right, you know, to the point where mm-hmm. it's you know it's exact. It's kind of that kind of equation, okay. and he. He's a great guy, and he works out uh, sort of warnable way out of town in a workshop. And I always knew about him. And years ago, I bought one of his guitars. He, he, I think he's made like you know, four or five electric guitars when he was younger, trying to work out whether he would do that before he sort of got into mandolins. And I went around to his workshop with one that I bought at a music store in, in the city. I think he did some work on it for me. And he said to me, did you ever hear any good mandolin play? I was like, no, nah, not really. You know, it just wasn't my thing at the time. And he, he he made me a cup of coffee and played me some records. And I've got to say, these mandolin players in the 50s and 60s were doing what guitar players were trying to do in the 70s, you know, like, like kind of like rip it up on the instrument. Yeah, wow. And I couldn't believe how well they played. Uh-huh. And I sort of got the bug around them. And uh, I ended up buying one of his mandolins, which was probably the cheapest one that he makes because they're worth a lot of money. But I, I bought a second-hand one when I was in the States then, years later. And I, when I was in New York, I started going down to, uh, they have like, they call them old-timey and bluegrass jams. They kind of happen on a Monday or Tuesday night at most of the Irish bars downtown, like around the uh, around the college and stuff. And I started going and hanging out at these places, and, and, and people would just turn up and have, like, legit jams with, you know, banjos, mandolins and guitars and fiddles and stuff. It wasn't necessarily blues, bluegrass, but they would just sit around and play these old tunes, you know. And uh, I just loved the scene. And in a very short time, I kind of started working out my mandolin chops, you know, enough that I could sort of sit in and play along with uh, um, these, these crew and, and, you know, drink a beer or two. So great, that was eh? kind of how it started. And then, and then I, just got, I just got into it. I, I never saw it coming, but I kind of just became... 
you know, I, I like the instrument more and more as I kind of start to understand it. So, um, yeah, cool. so it's been it's been good. Does any of that stuff, I don't know if any of the, the technique or the approach, does any of that rub off onto your guitar playing? Or is it just a totally different animal? I, I, I don't know, because I've I got to say, for a while there, my brain couldn't see the mandolin fretboard for, for what it was, because it's basically tuned like a violin. Yeah, it's, it's like the upside same instrument, down, but with yeah? double string. It's, it's, you can think of it as an upside-down guitar, yeah. but in actual fact, you do yourself a disservice, because all your root notes, all your deep notes then, yeah. aren't really... Uh, aren't, going to sound right because if you're looking at the high notes and going okay well that's you know the, the, the high string is E so an E chord must be well that doesn't work because the E chord is not a good yeah, resounding chord on the on the on the mandolin because the yeah. bottom string is a G so you need to start thinking about well you know the, the root or, the, or, the, or the, the good sounding open chord is, a, is an open G and you work your way up from there yeah. and, but once your brain sort of starts to I don't know see it like that it, it actually makes more sense you know okay. so um and it took me a while for that to, before that really happened. I, I struggled to do any improvising on it at all for the longest time, uh-huh. and then then it started to become more and more clear as my hands got used to where everything was. I suppose. Yeah, cool. Do you have that thing like when you play um, when you're playing an open chord, it looks like the, an inverse version of a guitar chord? Did you did you force yourself to learn what they were actually called well, on the mandolin or? Yeah, at first I struggled, but uh, eventually I made myself do it, and, yeah. I, and I I wrote a little um. I, I, I'm, I wrote like a little textbook for myself of, of shapes and things that, okay. that as I learned them. So I didn't have a book. I, I read a few magazines and bits and pieces, but the information wasn't that uh, freely available about how to play the mandolin, really. And um, I bought some records, some CDs, and I kind of like copied a few things to, just uh-huh. to get my hands going. But basically, I wrote myself a little textbook and started to do like a study on it. That, that's I'm a nerd. That's that's the kind of stuff I would do, you know. Yeah, cool. So. Um, uh, so you, you you have to even if you're looking at the the high string and and making that you know like how you're seeing the chord, you know you, you look at it like a little triad. You know you, you've kind of got um, the high note, which let's for arguments they call that the root note, and then the next thing you think would be the third, and then you've actually got like an octave. So it's 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 kind of different because you don't kind of play like a root and a five like you would on a guitar. You kind of play a root and a third. And then the other other notes sort of after that, so it's yeah, a bit yeah. of a backward uh-huh. kind of thing, you know. Cool, man. That's awesome, though. That's a, that's a whole other world that you've you've brought into your playing, which, yeah. which is awesome. I, I didn't really play it. I played a bit of piano because we grew up playing piano. Okay. Um, uh, but but you know, once I got a mandolin, I, I actually can't pretty. I felt pretty happy with myself that I kind of had taken on a second instrument at one point. It's like, yeah, wow, yeah. look at me. I'm a multi instrumentalist. That's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Put that on your resume. <laughs> yeah, which is good. Excellent. So I, I made a mandolin record. I actually recorded an album. So okay. I actually did a whole album of mandolin, sort of blues and and and, and bluegrass, and um, just a thing. Like, it took me like seven years to make it. I did it like you know chipping away at home on on, on my home, Pro Tools, yeah. and actually it became the Carolina Mandolin Society's album of the of the month one month. There you go. So. So people in Carolina don't even think of me as a guitar player, but he's a mandolin player. He's a mandolin playing guy, yeah, from uh, (laughs) from Australia. Very cool, man. That's awesome. What's the best way for people to catch up with your stuff? I mean, I'll talk about the Jets again in a second, but with with your own solo stuff like these albums you're telling us about. Do you know what? It's been a confusing time to work that out. I I actually, of course, I've got a website, which is my name, jimmyhocken.com, and I've had distribution for these things in the past, which I I, I don't have right now. Mm -hmm. I even had them on iTunes. I took them off last year, so 
I just didn't figure that that was how I wanted to do it at the, sure. at the time. And uh, so now I sell them at gigs or through a mail order company called somersaultmusic.com.au. Okay. So they can get them to you. Uh, or, or Because I do the festivals a lot, I actually sell a lot of CDs at festivals. So that's kind of been just the way I do it. But yeah, right. if you email me, I can I can put people you know on the right track or, or even take care of it myself. That's kind of what I'm currently doing. So yeah, cool. I will, I'll probably rethink this next year, but... But that's what I've been doing lately. I think everybody's working out how to do CD sales these days. Yeah, it's sure. Such a changing playing field, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Hey, um, back back to the Jets. Well, an album. Oh, yeah, that... we better talk about that because my manager will be ringing up. So listen, you know, we're not here to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's um, it's great. So the the radio rock right. I already said it's in August and September. When does the album yep. come out? Your your great Australian covers record come out? Do you know what? I wish I knew because. Yep. Uh, there might be a release date for all I know, but I'm afraid I don't know it. Okay, um, that's fine. But, but let's assume it'll be coming out to as we at least launch that tour, because that would make sense. So, yeah, it'd be before the tour, um, I guess, yeah. I mean, they're mixing it as we speak. That's okay. What, as, as I'm sitting here talking to you, they're actually mixing that record right now. Yeah, cool. Can you tell us any of the tunes you guys covered? I suppose I can tell you. Did anybody mention it's a secret, or is it? Or uh, no one I'll tell you what the ones <laughs> we recorded, we, we whittled it down to 20 songs, then we did pre-production on all of those songs. Then we, we, we threw out a couple that we just didn't think came together in the way that we liked. Uh-huh. And we, we recorded 17 songs and we will release, I think there's going to be 13 or 15 songs on the record. That's okay. what we were banding around. Yeah. But I could tell you some of the favourites. Like, there were some unlikely ones. We did, um, uh, actually, we recorded a mid all song I always like called Back on the Waterline, one of the oh, older yeah. catalogs. Yeah, so we did right. that one. That was a great song to record. And, uh, and I must say, even Tim Rogers wrote a song called Purple Sneakers, which um, we I recorded that. that. I, you and my Yeah, team. and I was, yeah, I was amazed how much, how well it came up. And all day, you know, after I recorded the guitar parts, I just had the song in my head. It yes. was like, you know what? I was saying to David, that is a great song because yeah. I can't get it out of my head now. That's what, you know. And uh, what else was there? I mean, there's... Um, uh, I'll put in front of me now. I mean, can you believe I just recorded these like a few days ago? <laughs> um, there was rain. We did things like things. Things came up that were kind of you might have expected, you know, from okay. the public's perspective. Yeah, yeah. And you know, dragon rain. Uh, the radiators give me head. Came up. Okay. Um, um, what else? Did you do any uh, angels? I wonder, given Dave's connection with them now. We yeah, we did. And yeah. because I have a connection with them. We're all great friends. Yeah. So we did Shadow Boxer, but we we changed awesome. the arrangement just a little bit. Okay. Just uh, just for a thing. Yeah, cool. Uh, we, we we also did a reworking of uh, uh, Shane Howard's or the Goanna Band's uh, Razor's Edge, Living on a oh, Razor's okay. Edge. Yeah, yeah. I have to remember that one. We made that like a rock song. Great. And uh, so there's a couple of things we gave a treatment to, but a lot of things, all we had to do to make them sound like us was kind of play them. Yeah. And suddenly by default... <laughs> We had this new thing, you know, and and I put solos on some things here and there. Did Scotty that really didn't have anything like that? We, oh, we played uh, one which we loved was was Stevie Wright's guitar band. We played, okay. we recorded that classic. And uh, and even as I went off to do the Port Ferry Folk Festival while they were still recording the album without me, and we had uh, um, a couple of people come in and guest. Stewie Fraser came down. Uh, oh, nice. uh, Noiseworks Stewie hasn't been well. How's he doing? Yeah, yeah, I've heard yeah. He, he, he seems to be doing okay. I, I, I don't, I'm not really sure, but he's okay. a great man. And we we had him play on a, on this uh, as a guest on guitar oh, band. That's cool. that's really I think cool. Kemi Hemwood came down. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we had a couple of people just because we thought it'd be fun to have 
like one of those long guitar solos with like literally six people <laughs> all coming <laughs> to play. So we did that. Well, I hope we use it, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we also did Wedding Ring, the old Easy Beats tune. Okay, yeah. And uh, we did an ACDC song. We did um, Rock and Roll Damnation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there was some really good uh, the, the walls, the old Ice House song walls. Oh, okay, uh, from man. The, from the well, from the actual Ice House album, they were called Flowers. That yeah, was, the Flowers. Like, yes, yeah. that's very cool. So, we must be a similar age. I'm, I'm, I know all these tunes from the radio. So no, you sound young. I'm not sure. Really? I'm, I'm the yeah. oldest guy in the Screaming Jets. So I can really? tell you that. So, okay. so I want more respect from those guys. <laughs> I <have to> say. <laughs> Oh, it's not cool. working out for me, I've got to tell you. It's not working oh, out. Hang in there. Do they know yeah. you play Mando? You've, you've played Mando on their stuff, haven't you? Oh, yeah, actually, um, we'll, we'll, uh, there's been a few tracks over the years. Even as far back as the uh, Gorilla album, yeah. there was an acoustic track on there called Impossible. Uh, so Warmo was in the band there. So, so Warmo played guitar and Dave sang and I played mandolin. Yeah. I think that was the first time I'd ever recorded a mandolin. So, um, so that was you know, that's 25 years ago or something, 20 years ago. Awesome. Very cool. Well, man, Jimmy, thanks so much for your time. Really great to... Oh, pleasure. Great to meet you and, and chat about this stuff. Not only... I mean, the Screaming Jets are such a such an integral part of the Australian rock landscape, um, and obviously you've had a long history with those guys, but your, your own stuff as well. Great to hear about both sides of the uh, the Jimmy Hocking coin. Yeah, now, man. Well, thanks for, thanks for asking about it and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's a symbiotic thing because people don't realise that even apart from my own thing, the Screaming Jets, for the most part of their career, have been an independent band. I think people don't know that. Uh-huh. You know, we, 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 our first major record deal we grew up was they were considered an independent label at the time. Yeah, right, yeah. And even now, for the latter part of our, of our career, we're a self-financed band. You know, we, we record our albums off our own money. We've done it independently. And, and yes, we're fortunate that we have a following and all, all the rest of that. But effectively, we are just working as an indie band at a larger scale, I suppose. So that's kind of been our ethos for a long time. So, you know, it's nice that we get support from people like your good selves who take an interest in what we're doing and have a chat with us about that. So, So thank you very much. All right, there you go, Jimmy Hocking. Great guy. And, um, yeah, I was very happy to meet him and talk about the Jets and his own solo work and, and all, all that stuff. In fact, Jimmy had uh, just driven three or four hours the afternoon before to play a gig that night, spoke to me in the morning, was just about to get kicked out of his hotel room and uh, had another gig that night before heading home to his young family. So, yeah, really appreciate his time and what a great guitar conversation that was. All right, next up, as promised, Adam Eckersley and Brooke McClymouth come out with a great new record, Brooke and Adam. And, uh, yeah, the writing's great, the production's fantastic, self-produced, I must say. And there's some excellent guitar moments too, so it was fun to talk about all these things. So let's head straight over. Matt, thank you so much for holding. You've got Brooke and Adam on the line now. Great, thank you very much. How are you going? Hi, Brooke. G'day, Adam. How are you guys? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, doing well. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Guitar Speak podcast. Oh, hey. Yeah, thanks for having us, mate. Awesome, very cool. Hey, congratulations on the new album. I've been digging into it over the last week or so, and it's fantastic. Oh, thanks heaps, man. Thank you. Good. To, it's been great to listen to. Now, you guys don't usually work together. You're, of course, you're married, but you've got your own gigs, obviously, Brooke with the McClimates and Adam with fronting your own band. Um, can you talk us through how yeah. you found the window of time to, to make this album? 
oh gosh, we we kind of just jumped on the um, on the chance. We've always wanted to do something, but we never like together like an album. Yeah. But we thought, no, we're never going to get to it. So we're about sixty years old. You know, we always <laughs> thought it was going to be a long, long time away. Like when we're in our, you know, when we're kind of near the end of you know of our own band, but. No, my sisters were actually, they end up, the two of them are having babies. So I was like, well, what am I going to do for 10 months? I'm not having any more babies. And I was like, um, you know, so we just jumped on the chance and just, so we're like, well, let's do this now. Here's our window of opportunity and it's never going to come around again. Yeah. And, um, and that's when we basically just got in and stuck, got stuck into the songwriting and then um, we went into the recording studio and started recording our album, which you know what we're super proud of yeah we love it man you should be it's so good um i mean you guys have got a young family as well so how how does the writing process work with your schedule (laughs) or lack thereof um (laughs) whatever how are you doing yeah well on this this particular album we um we had to kind of abandon sensible for a period of time because generally (laughs) speaking when we're off the road um you know we'll just do the normal family stuff and hang out and but yeah. we did because we didn't have the luxury of time to just sit around and wait for the songs to arrive we had to be awake and present at all you know all crazy hours so we basically we do the uh family thing get the daughter to to bed and then go up to the shed and just have a beer and sit there and try and write and, and we did that you know nearly every night and and we just were throwing ideas out really quickly and shooting ideas down and um which it was a good process actually we both kind of like a tight time frame and um working under pressure a little bit yeah have you guys worked together have you written much together in uh in previous years we have yeah quite a bit um for both of our individual projects and also for other people so we kind of know how we work and what our strengths are and and also, too, we can bypass um, being sensitive when we're delivering a, <laughs> you know, a bit of feedback on a line or a, yeah. or an idea, and that's all too often. That's what makes uh, co-writing, you know, a drawn-out process, is because you've got to dance around people's feelings. Whereas yeah, we yeah. can just go, nah, that is not very good. Let's move along. Yeah, nice, nice, very cool. Now, you guys self-produced the album. Where, where was it recorded? Oh, we recorded at McQuaver Studios up at Byron Bates, um, owned by Nick Dedea and Bernard Fenny. Okay. Yep. Um, but again, because of the kind of the time frame, we did we kind of had to take the the studio space when we could. And Nick, who's produced uh, stuff for Adam Eckersley Band before, he's a champion. He was actually in America at the time, and that was what prompted Brooke and I to go well you know what, maybe we have a go at producing this thing ourselves. And, and we're stoked that we did. It was a great experience. And um, and we found we worked well together too. So that was a lot of fun. Nick, you know, we rang him before we went in the studio, got some advice and stuff like that. But yeah, there was plenty of ideas and stuff getting thrown around just the two of us. It might have been a hard task for a third person anyway. Okay, yep, yep. And did you find like from just rolling on from the songwriting, you're in a good space to, to think about the production as a team? Totally. We done a lot of pre-pro sort of just talking about how we wanted the songs and we worked, the guys that recorded um, are all in Adam Eckersley band, plus we had Michelle Rose on pedal steel. So we kind of knew all the guys and made that whole process of communication and 
letting them know what we wanted and, and they had great ideas and stuff too. It made it all pretty easy, really. Yeah, cool, cool. Man, I love the production. I think it was just such a nice mix of being raw but, um, you know, clever parts and, and great tones throughout the throughout the record. Oh, thanks, Dan. For sure. Um, I was going to ask who was on pedal. I was, I was wondering if it was Michelle. That was great. I loved uh, what did he play on Love Love on the Loose and a couple other tracks of the pedal. Man, he's beautiful. awesome. Yeah. I had the privilege of sitting in on a session on um, Jane Denham's first record, and he he just popped in for an hour, blasted out I don't know half a dozen tunes, and got out of there. It was amazing. amazing yeah, to see. he's the, he's so quick, and and all the boys just you know played awesomely. We the bed tracks were all the sorry the body of the album was recorded in three days, and okay. then. Brooke and I just went back into the studio for a few more days when Nick was back from America and finished our vocals off. So mm-hmm. we kind of got... We did three days pre-pro before, yep. which yep. was awesome because we kind of... We knew what we had to do once we got to the studio. Yeah. Cool. Who else is playing on the record? Ben Elliott played drums. Yeah. Um, Mitch Cairns played bass. Yeah, cool. Uh, Kim Bear played guitar. And um, Dan Biederman played uh, Hammond and piano. Oh, yeah. And I played electric and, and stuff, yeah, and Michelle. Yeah, great. Great. Did, Brooke, did you play at all on, on this, this time around? You know what? I played when we were, when we were you know, laying the, laying the track down. Yeah, yeah. So, but then the boys came in after and they, you know, yeah, done sure. them properly. <laughs> sure. Redone the acoustic yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Is there some Mando? I thought I heard some Mando on Lay With Me. Or am I just imagining that? Yeah, that was Michelle as well. Oh, cool. Talented man. Very, very cool. Very cool. The, very talented um, man. Yep. Man, there's some great guitar moments. Um, so, Adam, is that is that you on, on the... Ele- you said you played the electric. Is that you doing most of the parts I'm hearing? Yeah, but... Majority of the electrics was me. Kim Bear played a, a bit of electric as well. Yeah. We done some harmony stuff together and what have you. Yeah, man, I like the, um, the solos. Sorry, sorry to jump in. I was gonna say, yeah, I love the harmonies. Um, on on Trainwreck, and I think there was someone so smooth as well, or octave lines sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I love all that Allman Brothers stuff and uh-huh. that harmony guitar stuff. I just love it so. We stuck, snuck a little bit of that in there as well. Yeah, cool. Loved it. Loved it. Hey, great, great tones on, on something like So Smooth. Do you remember what you're playing or how you how you pulled that guitar tone for the solo? Um, I think I was playing just my standard Strat, mm-hmm. and I got a feeling I may have been plugged straight into one of Nick's... Um, possibly I was into one of Nick's Marshall heads and just did a Marshall cab. I yeah. think um, a lot of it, a lot of it was just my standard strat through um, my hot rod Deville. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Are you running any pedals? Like something like so smooth, a bit gainier. I guess that's the Marshall, perhaps. Yeah. Goosing that a bit. Yeah. Um. I, I usually run. Um, Tube Screamer just, I generally speak and have my Tube Screamer on just a little bit all the time, just yep. a bit of dirt on the rhythm sound and then and then I've usually run a, another Tube Screamer actually with the drive kind of 
fully off and the volume fully up for a boost. Uh-huh. And then for a um, for my sort of more overdriven stuff, I've got an OCD um, oh, yeah. pedal that I usually bring into it. I can't exactly remember what combinations were on what songs, but sure. that's kind of my pedal board setup. And we we tried a di- few different heads and what have you, but stuff like uh, the the outro of or the whole song of um, Highway Sky. Yeah where it's kind of the big big jam session that was yeah. we had my amp just kind of in the kitchen of the <laughs> studio just cranked to the boards and yeah that was just my tube screamer and my OCD that's yeah. great man I love that track yeah, I, wanted to, I wanted to mention that one it was, it was one of those classic fade outs where you're straining because the, the guitar player is still um, cutting loose at, over the end so I was straining as the, the track was fading away loved it yeah, the jam went for forever. We recorded that one at the end of each night just because yeah. it was one of them songs that was just so free that we just did it every night and picked the best one. Yep, nice. They had some cool harmonised leads um, as well. How, how do you guys write those parts? That was actually Kim Bear's line, the the riff at the start of okay. Highway Sky. Yeah. He yeah he came up with that it was an awesome awesome riff and. Um, and then harmonised it, and it just sounds awesome. Uh huh. Yeah, it's it's neat. A lot of, a lot of fun. Hey, just just stepping back a gear, um, talking about the songwriting again. Um, I read a review, and yep. I, I'm interested to see what you think. the The, review, the idea was that um, it's kind of saying Adam brings a blues rock influence, whereas Brooke brings more of a pop sensibility. Um, listening to something like One Man. That to me sounds like very soulful pop, if, if we're going to call it anything. But is that is that an overgeneralisation, or is there any truth in that in that statement? Um, it, it probably is a fairly broad one. We we kind of take different roles in different songs, really. Mm-hmm. Brooke, as a as a rule, has just got such a great ear for hooks and melodies, mm-hmm. and and quite often it, it just works out that that she'll sort of she'll ensure that those things are in the song whereas I pay less attention to that I yep. and I sort of love trying to establish a story and all that sort of stuff but yeah, sure. we kind of swap roles you know from song to song really okay. yeah true yeah so Brooke are you arranging say the BVs on something like One Man yeah I did most of, actually I did the majority of the of BVs and all the, you know all the ooze just the padding of the vocals yeah, and yeah. Yeah, put all the little sprinkle of just in there just to, and I just because I felt like it and I could. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love those parts. They're very cool. Yeah, it's good. Nice. No, we love it. We've, we're really proud of this record. And everyone seems to be really enjoying it, which is a great thing. Yeah, fantastic. Now, you guys, you guys are busy. Like, talk about not taking your time off granted to do to do another project like you've been you've been on the road since mid-February so as we record this this is about I know. a month on but you look pretty book solid through till July at least yeah we're going as far north as Cairns yep uh, we're going over to Western Australia and down to South Australia Victoria we're driving everywhere we're doing the Nullarbor and stuff and um, yeah which is going to be a lot of fun we're going to take our daughter on some of the the runs with us and stuff yeah. as well and yeah so it's a good opportunity for us to get to some places where 
we haven't been before and some we have been before and what have you, yeah. That's great. That sounds like the ultimate family working holiday, playing a bunch of gigs and... Yeah, it's pretty cool. Around. Nice. Hey, next weekend you're at Grafton, I think. Is that Brooks' hometown? Yeah, and I lived here for about six years as well. We're actually in Grafton now. We've got to go to the oh, Gold okay. Coast tomorrow. But um, okay. Yeah, we've got two shows on the Friday, Saturday night this week coming, yep. which will be great. Cool. Now, these shows, um, it must be a lot of fun for first out getting to play these tunes um, for, for an audience. That's got to be fun. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, no, we're, we're loving it. We've sort of done a, a couple of shows with the full band, but the majority of the tour is just the, the two of us. Yeah. And um, which has been fun arranging the stuff so it works, just the two of us as well, and mm -hmm. filling it out and what have you. And, um, you know, getting the opportunity to tell the stories behind the songs and stuff as we go, which is great as well. Yeah, nice. Nice. It was funny listening to the record. I felt like I was listening to some conversations that were a little private at times. Yeah, well, we, we definitely, there was no boundaries as, as far as what we could write about. And we just, um, you know, didn't shy away from anything, the good and the bad and the in-between of married life and, you know, stuff we're witnessing and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was, it was a good, fun thing to write. Yeah, cool. So when you when you're putting together the acoustic shows, what what guitars do you take on the road? Uh, both of us play Mate and eight oh eight. Okay, nice. I love. Well, I just love it. The the little body's good to get over and you know solo on and stuff. But the AP five is just such a great pickup and you know preamp and whatever. And it's just bloody. Yeah, I, I just hard to beat. Yeah, oh, they're fantastic. Are you running the new AP5s with the little um, microphone inside the body as well? Uh, I've got I've got a, a guitar with that in it, but um, my my kind of everyday guitar's not. It's probably 13, 14 years old, and I just yeah. love it. It's well worn in, and yeah, nice. Yeah, it's very cool. Nice. And are you guys doing any processing, or are you just running straight into the PA? Just straight in. I've I've got a. Um, uh, LR bags with a with a bit of a boost on it, so I, I sort of just boost for the solos. But other than that, it's just straight into the PA, and um, there's a stomp, two two DIs for acoustics and two vocals. Pretty yeah, simple. Perfect, man. The the sound guys must love you when you roll in. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> easy, easy mix. It seems it's early days of your tour, I guess, and, and the album's just come out, but it sounds like you're having a great time. Is, is this something you'd like to continue on even when the McClimates, you know, get back together and, and the Adam X yeah. dance back on the road? For sh yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll do this kind of for as long as we can. We'll, yeah. we'll obviously, um, you know, pick different times in between our other projects when time allows and stuff, and, yeah. but, uh, yeah, whenever we get a chance down the track, we'll do it again. Excellent. That's great. So good. What, what's the best way for people to know what dates you're playing and when they're coming near? Uh, our, web, our website, uh, which is adamandbookmusic.com. Yep. Uh, that has all the dates and links to our social media stuff, our Instagram and Facebook and all that's got the um, all the dates and locations and ticket details and all that stuff on it. Yep. Great. Excellent. Um, anything else we should know about the tour or the or the album that you want us to know about? Um, not really. Just 
just uh, yeah, just come and come and check out a show. It's, yeah, we want to sort of play these songs to as many people as possible, as you know, as everybody does. But sure. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, hey, congratulations to you both. Again, it's such a great record. And um, we're a guitar podcast, so, you know, I love the songwriting, um, but the guitar parts were a lot of fun to, to check out too. So, um, yeah, congratulations all around. That's awesome, man. Yeah, cool. Guitars are cool. They are cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you guys, 100%. All right, well, hey, thank yeah, you. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for joining me, Thank and um, yeah, looking forward to catch you. When uh, are you rolling back around into Sydney? I, I, I think you've had some dates. Yeah, uh, yeah we've got Lead Belly. I think maybe in April okay. and Brass Monkey. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. All right. Hope to catch you guys there. Then. That'd, that'd be so great. if you get a chance, come and say good day. Yeah, we'll do for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, Brooke and Adam. Really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Okay. Awesome, Bye. mate. Champion. Thanks heaps. Cheers. See ya. All right, there you go. My conversation with Adam Eckersley and Brooke McClymer. Really great people. And if you live anywhere in Australia, there's a pretty good chance they'll be touring near you over the next couple of months. So look out for that. I really hope to catch them at Lead Belly, which I've got to say is such a fantastic venue in Sydney. Big shout out to those people there. All right, moving along for our final interview of this epic episode, number 79 of the Guitar Speak podcast. Ian Cook from VTrem Guitars. I met Ian oh, probably about 18 months ago and uh, just recently caught up with him to talk about all things VTrem. Now, really, he's just he's re, reinvented, re, rethought out the, the locking tremolo system. You know, uh, locking nut, locks at the bridge, does all the crazy dive bomb stuff, does all the crazy pull-up stuff as well. But what's, what's really clever about this design is that that the home or the resting place is super solid. It's as if you're playing a Floyd that's recessed flush to the body, like you know, like Eddie Van Halen might might do so. Now, I know lots of people love the full floating tram, and it's a fantastic piece of gear. But I don't know, like for me, I've played my main guitars a Strat style, Frankenstein, and I've had that tram blocked for at least 15 years, and I've loved it ever since. Uh, it feels really solid, and um, I really miss tram. But a blocked, a fixed tail bridge for me um, just feels great for, for everything else, you know, for, for right hand dynamics and attacks. So I was really interested in this design. I went out and uh, visited Ian at his place, checked out all these different models of guitars and uh, got the backstory. So here we go. Let's jump in. Ian Cook from VTram Guitars. Ian Cook, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you, Matt. Welcome here. <laughs> <laughs> great to be here. Thanks for having me around. This is very cool. It's a very cool space. So we're going to talk about the V-Tram and your, your patented um, design, which is, which is awesome. Um, yeah. If we back up a little, though, what got you into guitars in the first place? Um, well, I don't know. Just friends were playing and I wanted to join in. And yeah. They got me into it. Yeah, cool. I used to think, well, I want something that's not floating, but... I can pull up on too, so. Okay, so you. So I just came up with the idea of, of, of it's basically a hinge that that pulls up when you pull up on it. Yeah, cool. So you were using like Floyd Rose style bridges. Yeah, yeah, non-floating. I could never really get the hang of a of a floating bridge. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Hey, like Van Halen, he always had his yeah. flush to the body. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then other players, you know, would float them. Yep. as well i had um i had some floating bridges back in the 80s and early 90s and i loved them yeah but as soon as i blocked one it just always felt much better yeah 
Yeah, so. I could never really get the hang of it. It's just <laughs> it's a bit hard thing to do to get. <laughs> how how long were you playing though before you thought, oh, hang on, I could I could do something better with oh, this design? Twenty years, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So it was like a long term. Yeah. Thing. Had you done any engineering or any other? No, nothing like that. No, just thought yep. this needs to fix. Wow. So how did yeah. what what was the start? How do you start redesigning? Well, I, I did a few prototypes and they didn't really work that well. And then, okay. then one day I came up with a hinge idea and I put it on the guitar and it, and it worked. Okay. And yep. then over the years I've improved on it and it, now it seems to be just about right now. That's great. Yeah. So if I've if I followed your um, your work correctly, so you want all the benefits of a, of a um, like a tremolo bridge, but on a flat base. Yes, like like a non-floating. No, non-floating, tremolo. yeah, that's the term. But because it's a hinge, you can pull up on it too, and it's got a booster spring inside to make it easier to pull up. Okay, okay. Now, you've got a patent for this. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. How, how do you go about getting a patent? I pay a lot of money to a patent officer. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, but does that, does that also... Um, that guarantees that your work yeah. is unique in some uh, way? Yeah, after five years, they examine it, and if nothing's close to it, that's mm -hmm. locked in then. Okay, so, yeah. So how far along in the five years? Oh, it's been eight years. Oh, now, so you're well past, okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's when they give you the patent? Uh, they give you the patent at first, but yep. it's, it's not really a sure thing until they do okay. the final examination on it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wow, well, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I don't know how many people have patented an, an entirely new bridge system. Yeah, it's it's a quite a lot of money involved there, but yep. But cool. So that means if anyone now uses your idea, they are then banned. Um, only in Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not an international patent. It's just Australia. Okay. Yep. So then anyone within Australia would need to pay license yeah, fees yeah. to adopt this idea. Wow. Cool. Looks great. Um. How how would you explain it differing to say a, a Floyd Rose? Is it again just the the hinge idea? Yeah, that's yeah. basically it. it. It's all the dimensions and everything are the same as a Floyd. Yeah, but the only difference is that it's got two plates and the top plate lifts up. Mm -hmm. That's great. That looks very cool. The um for our listeners, I'll post heaps of pictures on our um on our blog site and and social media stuff. So you can have a look and, and some links to um, Ian's site. But yeah, it looks like a Floyd, but it seems to have a slightly longer yeah. base towards the rear. Where yeah, the I had to make are. it longer because it just it wasn't didn't really feel right when it was shorter. So I extended it at the back a bit and then it was about right. Okay. Had the right feel then. Cool. Now you've got one of your Strat style V-Trem guitars here. Yeah. Um, plugged in. Can you give us a demo of some of the... Yeah, some of the range. Uh, you can do all the sort of things with a that you can do with a regular non-floating trim, like dive bombs. Things like that. You can also pull up on it too. Like that. Yeah, cool. That's and a big range. The beauty of it. Uh, like a um, a non-floating trim, you can really dig into to riffs and things. You can go. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's what I was saying with my complaint with the, the float, the floating bridge. Yeah, when you when you really lay yeah. into it, it you're pushing and stuff And things like up and... unison bends, like... You don't have to bend that first finger because with a floating trim, you always got to bend it a little bit because it'll drop in pitch. Yeah, definitely. Where, when you bend the other string. and Yeah. So it's basically just like a non-floating trim. Wow, that's with awesome. The pull-up option. Cool. If you break a string, what happens then? Does the whole tension? No, it if it should be enough just to hold it still in tune with mm -hmm. one string broken. Okay. Depends. It actually depends how tight you adjust the back springs. So. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So you've got again with the hinge system, you've got it set for pull up, pulling up or, or pushing down. Yeah. Can you adjust the the tension for for the action? Uh, like normally, like in an old school trim, you, you would tighten those three springs or loosen them. Yeah, bit. yeah, well, it's exactly the same as a normal trim. Yeah, okay, yeah. Everything at the back's all the same. Cool. And what about the pull-up action? Is that? Uh, well, it's got a booster spring inside. Yeah. You can adjust that with okay. the tension with washers, but it's you don't really need to. It's, it's just pretty good. Gives a fairly even sort of feel. Yeah, great. Right very cool very cool and how about like if you rest your hand on the bridge like sometimes that's an issue too no no with not, floaters no because it's not floating it's just exactly yeah, cool. the same excellent such yeah. a great idea yeah. i reckon they look super cool too that kind of yeah hopefully it takes off soon yeah great <laughs> just so got to get it out there and get people to have a go of it and yeah for sure for sure what 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 is the next step then because you've got um again we'll take some photos but you've got You've got stacks of guitars here all fitted and, yeah, yeah. and good to go. So um, how do people get in touch with you? Oh, I've got three guitars in the different shops at uh, Sydney Guitar Setups, uh, mm -hmm. Jungle City at Redfern yeah. and Village Guitar at Sutherland. Oh, okay. I can have a go there or they can contact me on Facebook. I'm yeah. free to give anyone a go anytime. Okay, cool. Very good, very good. So this you've got your own guitars here the v-tram guitars so there's some cool designs as like you're playing a, a sort of a stratish style now yeah. you've got some super strat looking ones there's some les paul style yeah. guitars too the les paul is that do you have to approach that differently because of the ang angle of the um, neck no not really or you it, it's probably a little better if it sits a little further back i mean okay. further down at the back so yeah it's on a little bit of a slant to to be in line with the body yeah cool and the thing with les pauls you can actually put a longer um a block on it so you can make it a lot wider too and oh okay okay same with other like a normal tremolo cool that's great and if someone had a guitar they really love but they were really into this system is it something you could retrofit uh you'd have to route it out a little more just a little bit of extra yeah. okay yeah all the front part will be the same but you have to route extra out the back just behind the bridge yeah. part yeah sure sure so it'll fit in yeah anyone taking on something a design as um i guess as established as a tram but obviously with some shortcomings in the various designs and tackling on is i think that's awesome that's super cool yeah, so well done and taking out a patent that's that's great achievement as well so very very cool um did, have you found any tonal benefits um because of the mass of it it's yeah. it actually 
quite got quite a good tone when you play clean it's yeah cool it's quite a full solid sound awesome yeah. and again that's like a criticism of like a full floating yeah, system isn't yeah, it because you just yeah. you're pretty just hard to play sort of jazz and things on a on a floating yeah system. sure you've only got like those two posts yeah connecting yeah. the whole thing to the body but you've got a lot of a lot of mass yeah, it's a lot of contact with the body so it's going to resonate pretty well cool and what kind of metals are you using i'm, I'm quite ignorant it's, it's mild steel and it's it's hardened on the ends where the uh where it meets the the posts okay it's hardened steel yep and the rest of it's just mild steel okay cool and how do you go about manufacturing them how, how does that work for you do you do them all in-house or yeah i've just been doing them at home and learned how to do all the yeah yeah metal work. all the metal work yeah cool yeah. very good you are a very handy man that's awesome yeah. i i had this part that's the, the back section where the the uh fine tuner screws go in yeah i had that made by a machine shop okay yeah so i couldn't do that at home but the rest i did at home it uses Floyd Rose parts. The, so the saddles are Floyd Rose. Yeah. The, the screws are Floyd Rose. The arms Floyd Rose, mm -hmm. and the blocks Floyd Rose, and the springs and everything. Okay. Yep. But the um, the saddle screws, I had to use longer ones. Yeah. Yeah. So it fits in with the the shape of it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's about the only Floyd part I don't use. Okay. Okay. Yep. So where are you getting the Floyds to start with? I'm just buying them online and then I pull them apart and okay. put the saddles in. And you're kind of rebuilding. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. So I'm stuck with a whole lot of Floyd Ray's blocks. <laughs> don't know what to do with them. Oh, so yeah, you don't need the blocks, hey? No. Interesting. Interesting. No, that's great. I love it. So, yeah. So down push, you've got your traditional three kind of springs or as many springs yeah, as I guess yeah, you want to shove springs, in. Yeah, three springs, yeah. And then you've got your other spring for the for the pulling back yeah that's the a uh, compression spring inside it great it's great cool well and thank you so much it's really cool to see yeah, the invention up coming close. out here and that's fun i remember meeting you at um at a michael dolce clinic and um yeah. and seeing your your kind of a v inspired shaped guitar here which is yeah. super cool um I tried to make it look like a stealth bomber, but it ended up coming out like that. Oh, yeah. Quite it's, different. <laughs> that's cool. What's all the switching and the options you've got on that? Uh, that's, it's got everything on it. It's got coil taps, yep. uh, phase switches, <laughs> single coil switch. Yeah, it's a little bit overdone, but it's also got LEDs to, to indicate where your switching's at. Oh, okay, so. cool. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's very awesome. Have you got any other? Um, are there any other ideas you'd like to pursue with guitar construction, no, or are you no, just that's, focusing that's on the, about it. it's, the bridge? Is the big deal? Yeah, it'll get more complicated if I start thinking <laughs> too much about other things. No, I love it. I, I love it. That, like I said, that you've taken on yeah. such an important part of the guitar and and try to improve it and bring your own um, yeah. and ideas to it. That's really really cool. I always wanted to pull up, but I I just couldn't handle the. <laughs> the floating trim so yeah well i think there's a bunch of us there so i think i think yeah. it has to be well worth checking out um checking out your designs yeah great all right this is matt i mean i'm uh 
Hey, this is Matt. I'm interrupting my own interview with Ian. Just tell you a little bit about the guitars. I, I um, In the next part, I just, for a couple of minutes, I hopped on one of Ian's guitars, a very traditional Strat shape and Strat neck, uh, humbucker in the bridge, single, just one single coil in the neck. Uh, but that style of guitar is pretty, pretty much home base for me. And um, loved it. The, the pickups Ian's wound himself felt really great, sounded really great. And the trem was a lot of fun to use. So you'll hear me playing, you know, like a, a 15-year-old in a music shop which I've got to admit was a lot of fun. Ian's also working on some, some new bodies um, using uh, Queensland maple and Australian blackwood, so it sounds really interesting. He's got some shreddier basswood uh, guitars, 24 frets, and also some Les Paul-style ones as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, really get in touch with Ian because he's got a lot of options available. All right, back to my interview. So the next feel good. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So you can definitely feel where the, the home base is, hey? Yeah. Yeah. When you feel it come back to the middle, it's like it's hitting the the body, but it's not. Yeah. What's in the it's in the clue. What do you call it? The home position or the whatever? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, wow. a neutral that is cool. position. Mm. Oh, okay, 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 okay. You can yeah. definitely feel when you're on down or up. Yeah. But I think you'd, you'd get used to that feel. That's great.
Alright, that's enough. Cut it out. Hey, it's in the same key as the uh, as the Guitar Speak podcast intro jam. I, can you believe that? It's either a coincidence or I can only play in one key. You be the judge. <laughs> Alright. Hey, my thanks to Ian Cook from VTrem Guitars. Really great to hang out, talk about his uh, really clever invention. Very clever guy. And uh, there are guitars at Sydney Guitar Setups, Village Guitars at Sutherland and Jungle Guitars in at Redfern. Or get in touch with Ian through VTram on Facebook. Or you can drop me a line and I'll get you in touch with Ian. Uh, either way, but definitely worth checking out if you're, if you're interested in a tram that's super stable but still able to do all the crazy stuff as well. Seems like the best of both worlds to me. Hey, my thanks also to Jimmy Hocking and also Adam Eckersley and Brooke McClimate for appearing on this epic Episode number 79 of the Guitar Speak podcast. All right, there you go. Hey, if you've enjoyed the episode, why not share it on your social media? Um, That really helps us out just to get the word out. And uh, yeah, it's very, very much appreciated. Okay, my name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.